Welcome to Aircrew Interview, I'm Mike King, your host. This is part two of our interview with Mike Ling. In this episode, Mike chats about his time being Red 10 for six years, coming back as Red 3, sharing some of his favourite moments on the Red Arrows, and also his current role flying with the Blades. If you enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like to support the channel, you can do this by donating monthly at patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview, where we have four different tiers for you to choose from. This greatly helps us to continue putting out regular quality content. Thank you and enjoy. And obviously many of uh, people and our viewers know you from being Red 10 and you had an epic, was it six years or has it been Red 10? So can you tell us what this role entailed and did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I had um, six years. So the idea, um, unfortunately, the Red Arrows had a tragic year in 2011 where John Egan and Sean Cunningham were, were killed in, in separate accidents and it was a really awful time. Um, I'd left the team in 2010, so I wasn't in the team in 2011. I still lived very close to Scampton, so I was, I was still close to the team um, and saw the guys. So I saw them go through, guys and girls, of course, Kirsty was in the team then. I saw them go through some, some horrid times and mm-hmm. it, was, it was awful. At, at the end of uh, 2011, after Sean's accident, there had to be a change around the team so that um, uh, Martin Higgins, who'd gone back as Red 10, for 2012 onwards, he actually was put into Sean's position. Uh, so they needed somebody else to backfill the Red 10 slot. So I was in a desk job, um, not enjoying very much, I have to say. <laughs> um, and they asked if I'd be interested in going back for, for a couple of years. It was going to be two years as Red 10. So I said, of course, yeah, yeah, if I get to fly jets again and be part of my, my favourite team, sorry, second favourite team, second um, <laughs> uh, part of the team I wanted to be in since I was very young, um, of course I'd jump at that chance. Mm-hmm. So I. Uh, yeah, I agreed to it and went back and refreshed again on the Hawk and then started as Red 10. Now, um, the, the, the idea of Red 10 is that essentially the supervisor, um, so you're on the ground at every public display in constant radio contact with the team to let them know if anything untoward's gonna affect the performance. Um, so that was the, the primary role. Uh, there were other, loads of other roles as Red 10, which, um, which developed actually in my, in my, my sitting, in my time there. Uh, it was, um, it started off being you were there just really as the coordinator of the summer so working out who's going to go where and then being on the ground at every display now of course if you're there to supervise and and be in contact you might as well make yourself useful to the to the tens of thousands of people watching mm-hmm. so i was also the commentator mm-hmm. which um i have to admit the first few i didn't really enjoy it was just it wasn't a case of watching the display thinking i, I wish i was doing that it was just I, I don't think as a it was something that i really wasn't geared up to be it was mm-hmm. a commentator but but the more the more I learned how much the crowd were enjoying the display and you could almost get instant feedback from them by saying something that they would react to, that's when I really started playing on it. And mm-hmm. at the end of my six years as Red 10, I thoroughly enjoyed being the commentator. It was really, it was, it was great. It was um, lovely to hear how the crowd enjoyed it and what sort of things they were doing in reaction to mm-hmm. what they were seeing and hearing. And I really enjoyed that in the end. So did you essentially create the commentary uh, script yourself? So there were certain engagement messages we had to get out in the commentary, of course, the, the, the whole point of the Red Arrows is that they are the, if you like, the link between the British public and the Royal Air Force. So there are messages the Royal Air Force want to get out by using that biggest engagement tool. So I, I would have messages I had to give out and they were dictated by the Ministry of Defence or the Royal Air Force. For example, in 2015, it was the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Britain. So what we were trying to say there is that 75 years ago, the Hurricanes and Spitfires were defending the skies, they were securing the skies. And then what we wanted to tell the public is that 
there is still a force, the typhoon force, are still securing the sky 75 years later, 24-7-365. So that was a, that, how the commentary was, was designed. Now I'd write a script. Um, of course, you're trying to highlight what the, the background of the crews were, the fact that it's a big team effort, it's not just about pilots, there are other trades in the Royal Air Force, etc, etc, etc. So I'd write the script and then as part of the public display authority, I would have to actually commentate to one person, which was the hardest thing, <laughs> rather than talking to, talking to 600,000 people was actually all right in the yeah, end. Yeah. But talking to one person, this senior officer, just found it really awkward because you're not getting any feedback from him. You're just kind of reading this script and, mm-hmm. and getting these messages out. So um, I found that quite difficult. Mm-hmm. But that was the idea, is that I'd write the script, it would get sanctioned by, by the senior officers and by the Ministry of Defence or the Royal Air Force, and um, that would then be the script that I would give. Of course, there were, there were certain events where you'd have to change it because of uh, whether it be the weather or uh, relevance in some places. That There might be some places where some of the messages you're giving necessarily weren't the messages you're trying yeah. to give. So if you're overseas, for example, actually, it might be that defence diplomacy was a bigger factor, so you'd add or remove things yeah. depending on weather location or mm-hmm. you're displaying. So yeah, it, it was um, it was pretty much scripted, but with a little bit of um, free play mm-hmm. if, if required. Yeah, and did you enjoy interacting with the crowds? I I was very fortunate because being in the Red Arrows, of course the. The Hawks take quite a lot of runway, so unless you were at an airfield where the jets could land, invariably you wouldn't get to meet the pilots as, as a member of the crowd. Whereas as Red 10, I had to be on the ground at every public display. So I would normally land a jet at the airfield that, with the rest of the team, which would become the spare airplane. I'd then get in a helicopter and go to the, the display site. Um, the beauty of that was I had, an hour, I had to be on the ground an hour and a half before display start. So I had, once I'd given Red 1 the brief on all the safety aspects, I then pretty much had 45 minutes of going around meeting people and it was it, it was fantastic you know a lot of familiar faces there were quite a few guys and girls who went to a lot of shows and mm-hmm. you'd see them at every single show which yeah. is which is great and it was nice to have friendly faces around mm-hmm. but also just meeting kids who some's never seen the red arrows before and just were anticipating what they're about to see or had seen it the day before and wanted to tell me how much they loved it so i could pass it on to the rest of the, the pilots so it became a really 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 brilliant part of the job was meeting tens of thousands of people every week and it genuinely was tens of thousands of people every week and I thoroughly enjoyed it yeah of course you couldn't get away with much because you're in a red suit <laughs> walking around an air show there's only one apart from kids in their little red suits yeah there was only one adult in a red suit normally um, yeah. <laughs> an air show so yeah. um, you, you stood out and p- people would just chase you down and, and ask to talk to you and uh, it was fantastic but mm-hmm. um, yeah the cheeks started hurting after a while after so many selfies because an awful lot of selfies <laughs> taken it was it was brilliant and, yeah and I think what it showed was that the support for the team in this country still still is phenomenal. There yeah. are so many people that love what the team do and what they stand for. Mm-hmm. And that really came through when I was meeting all the people in the summer. Yeah. And obviously there was a point where you thought this was going to be the end of your Red Arrows, Red Arrows career, but this wasn't the case, was it? Well, I had, uh, I finished, I did 2012 was my first year as Red 10. My two years turned into three and then turned into five. And then actually I ended up doing six years as Red 10. And that's um, either I needed more practice or uh, actually it worked for everyone. In that it was, there were quite a few changes in the team around that, the middle of my period where they wanted a bit of continuity. So they asked if I'd stay another couple of years, which um, I delightfully <laughs> agreed to. Um, and if, uh, yeah, so the end of 2017, um, yeah, 2017 was my last year as Red 10. Mm-hmm. And that was meant to be hang up the red suit and, uh, and off I went. I went to the Central Flying School to what was meant primarily a desk job 
um, as the air safety manager, but I was staying flying the Hawk as um, an instrument examiner okay. and as an instructor. So I left with some qualifications that enabled me to then go back and essentially do the, the, the annual tests on the Red Arrows and other Hawk pilots. So I went to the Central Flying School at Cranwell, uh, but um, I started that in January 18, and then very sadly in March of 18 there was a, a fatal accident at RF Valley where Corporal John Bayliss was in the back seat of Red 3's jets, Flight Lieutenant David Stark, and they, they had an accident, um, very last minute ejection for, for David, and um, he was injured, but unfortunately John Bayliss was in the back and was, and was killed. And so again, a really tough time for the team, and um, as the air safety manager for the team, it was very difficult to have to go and visit them and see, the, again, the, the squadron going through so much pain at a very difficult time. Um, but that was uh, end of March, so a decision had to be made because it was, of course, a very important year in 2018 for the Royal Air Force's 100th anniversary. So they needed a nine ship with the Red Arrows. And because I was still flying the Hawk, because I'd only just left the team, I didn't have to go through any retraining to, to get flying the Hawk again. I was a, a suitable choice for going back to replace David, who mm -hmm. um, had injured his, um, had hurt his leg. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the team to be Red 3 again. So mm -hmm. having been Red 3 in 2008, 10 years later, I was, I was Red 3 again. Mm -hmm. And where did you fly uh, at on your last tour on the Red Arrows? Did you go, was it just the UK? We did, because we did the Mediterranean exercise in Greece. So that was, um, I think, four or five weeks where that was really the, the training I did because I joined quite late on in the training. Um, most of the training took place in Greece. So we spent, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was four or five weeks out there doing the training. And then we came back and did mostly in the summer, it was in the UK. Yeah, because of course RF100, we got yeah. to spend time in the UK for RF100. But at the end of the season, we did actually go overseas and we displayed in uh, uh, Jersey, uh, Menorca and Monaco. So it was a nice finish to the season Very was, nice. uh, at the Monaco Yacht Show, <laughs> yeah, which was um, a really special moment. Yeah. So Mike, it sounds like you had a brilliant uh, career with the Red Arrows, but uh, is there any memorable stories or uh, flyovers you've done? Well, there's been quite a few. You know, it's um, <laughs> in, in 10... 10 seasons with the team there were a number of um, I mean things that stand out were I, I could be here forever but um, certainly start, start off with 2008 I'll do it I'll do it uh, sequentially 2008 with flying over RAF 90th anniversary over London in April so the 1st of April 2008 that was a great moment and then flying to the States and flying um, over the Statue of Liberty and displaying in New York Harbour you, know, you, you don't get that opportunity every day 2009 being part of Synchro was, was phenomenal just having all the display sites where you've got an extra level of concentration and, and thought going into it. Um, 2010 was a difficult year, so I won't for myself, so I won't talk about that one. Mm -hmm. um, 2012, when I joined as Red 10, um, it was a big year for the team. Now, unfortunately, the decision was taken to fly as a seven aircraft formation for the display rather than nine. Um, but of course, a big year with Her Majesty's Diamond Jubilee and the London Olympics, we had to have nine aircraft for every fly pass. So I actually flew as Red 9 in 2012. Mm -hmm. So. What that gave me the personal opportunity to do was to fly over London, I think, seven times that wow, year. Seven. So for the Diamond Jubilee events and for the Olympic events. The biggest one, of course, being the opening ceremony at the London Olympics, which um, I was told there were 1.4 billion people watching. Um, so no, no pressure. pressure in that regard. <laughs> yeah. But also I had the chief of the air staff in my back seat. Oh, did you? So uh, even even more pressure. Yeah. And uh, But it's just one of those events where I'll, I'll never forget that. It was, you know, it was a beautiful sunset flying towards the Olympic Stadium. And you, some of the photos that appeared in the paper, it was front page of the Times the following day. Was, yeah. And uh, what a memorable experience. And of course, as I said, flying over Her Majesty on countless occasions mm -hmm. that year was really special. 2013, we, uh, 
actually 2013, a great day at work, was I got the opportunity to, to race Lewis Hamilton in his Formula One car. Um, so I'm a huge Formula One fan. And he came to Scampton, Mercedes came to Scampton with one of the cars, <laughs> and I had David Coulthard in my back seat. And we did some flying up and down the runway with Lewis driving up and down the runway. And that was, yeah, just pinch yourself moment. Really. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really incredible. Um, 2014, uh, lots of things. It was the Red Arrows 50th, so we did loads of really good things for the Red Arrows 50th. Uh, for me, actually, the biggest thing about 2014, if you remember, it was the Two Lanks summer where the Canadian oh, yeah, Lancaster yeah, the Canadian, came yeah. over. And, and having the Canadian Lancaster uh, <coughs> And then the display circuit with two Lancasters in formation was, was brilliant anyway. But for me, um, my grandfather was a Lancaster pilot. So um, he was one of my inspirations back in the day and um, used to talk to him about what he got up to with his flying. Um, sadly, he's no longer with us. But what I got to do when the Canadian Lancaster arrived in the UK is I went and escorted it into, into Lincolnshire. So I got airborne. There was a big plan for all the Battle of Brit Memorial flight and the Red Arrows to meet up with it and loads of photo shoots, but the weather was horrendous. <laughs> so I got sent up as the sacrificial lamb to go and meet it and um, got to fly in formation with the Lancaster. But you weren't complaining. Then. Oh, not at all, not at all. <laughs> it was um, quite difficult in bad weather finding a camouflaged aeroplane over low level over Lincolnshire, but um, got to join up with it and yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. Uh, 2015, uh, well, the good thing about 2015 is that Monty, who had been my synchro wingman in 2010, then came back as Red One. Mm -hmm. So he and I working together again was, was brilliant. And mm -hmm. we had a great time to developing the display and, mm -hmm. and going around the country in 2015. 2016 was um, monumentous in that we went to China and back. So um, you know, taking 40 odd aeroplanes all the way to China. That was incredible. It was brilliant. And to, you had to stop 22 times to get fuel. And in every place we were displaying or doing some form of ground engagement. So busy times, nine weeks of um, very busy activity, mm -hmm. but, but still memories of seeing the jungles of Myanmar or landing in Bangladesh and meeting the Bangladeshi ground crew who came to the jet. There are so many little things that just stick in here that, that I've had the opportunity to do and I'm very fortunate that that's been the case. Do they randomly pop up? You're like, oh, I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. they are. And, and coming, coming here to the Blades and chatting through with guys and girls that I work with and, and just reminding each other of things that we did and, oh, I'd forgotten about that. And, or every now and then just flicking through my logbook and just going, yeah, I remember that so Very well. Cool. And, um, and that's really, really special, actually, is just flicking through and, and reminding myself you know, that there have been so many pinch yourself moments <laughs> that I sometimes do forget them and that makes me feel awful. So always important to look back through them. Um, so that was 2016. 2017, the, the, the key memory I've got is Petra. So we got a photograph of the team uh, down the Petra Valley, which, um, I mean, that's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. You wouldn't normally be allowed to fly <laughs> low level around yeah. there. But the Jordanians gave us permission and we, we, we got the shot. So I was flying the camera chase with a, an ARIA photographer in the back seat. And you know, nine aeroplanes down that valley is tight enough, but with a camera chase as well, get the shot, get the shot, and then pull up before flying into a mountain was, um, wow. yeah, such a, and the, the, the results though are, for me, one of the best photos of, I can remember of the Red Arrows. Yeah, it's a good photo, yeah, yeah. So that was up to my finished time of Red 10, and then last, last year, so my, my final year, my actual final year as, as Red 3, was without doubt the RF 100 flypass, where we were the back end of a train of 102 Royal Air Force aeroplanes, um, which was amazing. It just flying over London again, which was, it was never, it never got dull. You know, it was no. always important and special going over London. It really gave you a buzz. But the best thing about that fly pass was that as we coasted in in East Anglia, even at the coast, there were scores and scores of cars parked up, thousands of people, and every bridge and every flyover on that route, there were thousands of people. Really? And when you got to London itself, thousands, ten, hundreds of thousands of people, um, and it was just amazing. But of course, we were at the back end of the train, so we could see all the other airplanes in front of us approaching the London skyline. And just in front of us were 22 typhoons in a, a 100 shape. Mm -hmm. 
but of course to us it was zero zero one yeah we were behind them <laughs> yeah. but we were it, just to see all of that in front and that's something i'm never going to forget never going to forget at all Brilliant. so incredible opportunities and times and um yeah i could spend hours and hours talking about it but uh very lucky man indeed it was it was great so mike obviously we're here with another display team called the blades how did you become a part of the team so the blades are a team that are made up of majority ex-red arrows pilots there's one pilot in this year's team that um, is a guest pilot who's not been in a rare area before but historically for the last 13 years the team have always been ex-red areas pilots and it was set up by Andy Offer who was red one uh, back in the early 2000s and he kept getting asked when he was red one can I come flying with you and the answer in a military airplane is no sorry we can't we can't take you flying so he set up the blades as part of 2XL aviation he set up the blades as a team of four extra 300 airplanes as you see here and the idea is that we can put passengers in the front seat and take them on formation aerobatic sorties and show them roughly what it's like to fly in the red area. So flying next to another airplane upside down at um, maybe two meters apart, something like that. So um, what's interesting is that actually we're, we're an airline. So we're the world's only aerobatic airline. So we have all the same safety and security measures that any other airline would have, albeit we fly them in little airplanes and we fly them upside down. So that's how the team was formed. Um, I was uh, shortly due to leave the Royal Air Force. I had another 18 months to serve and um, I'd bumped into these guys and girls at an air show and they said, oh, do you fancy coming down to chat to us about what you might do next? And I said, oh, I'll come and have a look. I'd flown with the team on a number of occasions yeah. um, in the past. So um, knew that it was something that would definitely interest me. Um, it just happened that I was trying to make this decision on what, what to do next and where to go. And um, I saw them in Bournemouth at the air show and I went down to visit them. And what I'd actually agreed to do is that in my final year in the Royal Air Force, I'd got permission from the senior command to actually fly as a guest pilot with the team for the summer. So I'd, I'd started training at the back end of 2017 to be a guest pilot for 2018. Um, of course, that got put on ice when I had to go back to the Red Arrows as Red 3. So I then left the Red Arrows in October 18 and um, had to go and get my commercial pilot's license, which took a, a couple of months. And then I joined these guys in March. Mm -hmm. So I started full-time in March and, uh, and was put in the Blade 3 position. Having been Red 3 last yep. year, Blade 3, it made sense to keep me on the left-hand side and, um, and mostly be um, similar sort of procedures to, mm -hmm. to Red 3. So, mm -hmm. of course, having X-Red Arrows start the team and be part of the team or make up the team for the last 13 years, the procedures are very, very similar. So um, setting everything up is, is almost identical to the way the Red Arrows do mm -hmm. business, albeit the aeroplane's a little bit, well, it's a lot lighter, it's a little bit slower, but... Um, mm -hmm quite a bit more nimble. Yeah, so could you talk us through the aircraft? What, what type is it and how different was it coming from a fast jet? So this is um, an extra 300. It was designed purely for competition aerobatics really. So it's, uh, it's very simple. It's basically a, a, a tubular frame with some panels covering it. So very, very light, it's about 750 kilograms. It's, um, it's got a 300 horsepower Lycoming engine, which is um, pr pretty, pretty sporty actually, <laughs> considering how light the aeroplane is. Um, and it's designed just for aerobatics, so it's got huge ailerons, it's got a big elevator, it's very light indeed. The, the, everyone's flown piston aeroplanes learning to fly, so elementary flying training and, and private pilot's licenses all have piston engines. So I'd flown piston engine a little bit anyway. What I hadn't done too much of is, is tail drag at time. Now on, <laughs> a, on modern aeroplanes you'll see that um, you have two main wheels under the wings and then normally a nose wheel just under the engine. Whereas with this aircraft, because of where the center of gravity sits, actually it's got a tail wheel. So no nose wheel, it's got a tail wheel. All that means is that for handling on the ground and for takeoff and landing, 
it makes it very different because a you can't see anything out of the cockpit the the um because of the, the incline the airplane sits naturally you get um, different aerodynamic effects for the propeller takeoff and landing you get torque effect from a very powerful engine um and there are certain things you need to think about for for takeoff and landing as soon as you get the tail up actually it becomes a normal aeroplane because the, the aerodynamics work yeah. work the same as a an, another propeller aeroplane um so but learning the intricacies of tail dragging was by far the biggest hurdle of coming to fly this. Um, and then when it comes to aerobatics, there are things you can do, so what we call gyroscopic maneuvers, which you can't do in a jet. You know, if you tried to, some of the maneuvers you can do in this in a jet, it would, um, it would go very badly yeah. indeed. So there are some maneuvers that um, sometimes you, you, you look out the window and say, oh, well, I don't even know which way is up now because you've just put so many inputs in. <laughs> um, but that's one of the, one of the mm -hmm. challenges of, of this job and, and what I'm really loving is, is learning all the new maneuvers. Mm -hmm. So what's in store for the Blades for the uh, 2019 season? So we just did our first display, uh, first public display, which was at Duxford at the weekend. And just before that, we'd done a private display here at Cywa, which was actually the Blades 1000th display. So this wow. year is the 14th display season and yeah, the week before last, so um, mid-May, we did the 1000th Blades display. So um, quite, a, quite a keystone and it's um, a key moment. And on the tail, we've got a big 1000 now. So that's uh, going to be seen by everyone at the shows. Oh, Congrats to the team, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's great. Um, so a really big moment for the team. And certainly for Andy Evans, who's Blade 1, who, um, has been in the team since its inception. He did have one year where he was sort of sharing the two and three positions, so, um, or sharing the blade two position, I should say. So he's not actually done a thousand himself. I think he's got another 20 to go. <laughs> but in, in 18 shows time now, let's say, yeah. he'll have done a thousand mm -hmm. space himself mm -hmm. just in the, in the blade. So mm -hmm. um, having done four years in the reds as well, he's, he's got quite a, a lot of display flying under his belt. Yeah. Incidentally, he's one of the most experienced extra pilots in the world. He's got 3000 hours on this on one of these airplanes. So pretty, pretty incredible. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, what we've got in store. So uh, a few more shows this week and then really with the Red Arrows going overseas this year we've had a, a few extra uh, displays booked that um, potentially the team might not normally be invited to um, just to cover a gap in the programs but um, hopefully what that means is that if they like what they see you know it'll be a repeat mm -hmm. booking for next year mm -hmm. um, so hopefully it will be a, a very busy summer and then all the summers to come yeah so what's your favorite maneuver of this uh, this season we do um, some fairly wacky maneuvers. The display is 15 minutes long, so uh, just a bit shorter than, the, than a Red Arrows display. But in those 15 minutes, there are 30 separate maneuvers. So there's always something <laughs> happening for the crowd. There's always something that uh, the crowd gets to see. Um, I, I'm, I lead the, the first part of the synchro pair element. We split into two synchro pairs almost, and I lead Kirsty in, in some of those maneuvers. So I like doing what we call the pairs Lomshevac. So Lomshevac is a, one of these gyroscopic maneuvers I'm talking about where you get to the vertical and then just put the controls into almost to the top left corner with your, your left foot forward. And it does a bit of a, a, bit of a catapult, if you like, and goes uh, almost like a flick maneuver yeah. going upwards. So that's quite a fun maneuver to fly. Um, it's called a Lomshevac, which means hangover in Czech, I'm told. So okay. <laughs> you can see why if you see it, yeah. if you fly it. Um, so I like that. We do. Um, four synchronized aileron rolls so we come in, in in box or diamond formation where all four of us do a, a synchronized aileron roll four times along the display line oh. and to, to get that absolutely perfect is really challenging I that's, can imagine. Um, it's fan it's mm -hmm. brilliant because then you know when you've done it right you just get the feel that's happened and the corner of your eye you see the other airplanes and you just know that it's all worked together you also know if you haven't done it right because you, you, you finish <laughs> at the wrong time and then we do something called the hammerhead where all four of us fly in line abreast we pitch up and do synchronized stall turns which you wouldn't want to start try a stall turn in a jet. So um, having having this aeroplane, which which yeah. loves stall turns, mm -hmm. getting that absolutely perfect is again quite mm -hmm. difficult. But you know when you've done it, and mm -hmm. it's a real 
you know, pat on the back when when, it, when it's gone right and yeah. it looks good. So they're they're probably my favourite manoeuvres: Lomshavax, the Aileron rolls, and the hammerhead. Brilliant. So where can we find the blades online? If you go to theblades.com, there's uh, actually a new website only got released or started or um, launched at the start of this month. So that's a really good place for getting information about the team um, because it's not just displays that the team do. Um, we actually are, as I said, we're an airline. So actually the best thing about the team and the best thing I'm loving about my new job is that I can fly people in the front seat and they come along as a passenger. They'll have a full day here where they get looked after very, very well. They'll, they'll fly in the aeroplane with with us, we'll do formation aerobatics and then individual aerobatics where I show them some of those Lomshavaks and, <laughs> yeah. and other uh, crazy things. Um, fly helicopters, you hear the helicopters behind me here at Cywell. We have a helicopter hovering competition with our guests, a nice gourmet chef for lunch. But you get a full day here. Um, there's another interesting thing called Blades Flight Club. So once you've done one of those days, you're automatically qualified to become a member of the Blades Flight Club, which if you've enjoyed your flight and want to come back for more, you can come back and do some extra, we'll call them modules of flying, where you can come and, again, sit in the front. Uh, we have four modules. One of them is advanced aerobatics, where we can show you things that you haven't seen on the first <laughs> one and actually will take you to yeah. the next level up, providing you like the first one. Uh, advanced formation, where I've just mentioned the hammerhead, we'll show you that in formation, we'll show you inverted flying in formation, um, and some other um, of the more display manoeuvres, if you like. Uh, and then we have a take control. So when we do a passenger fly, we don't give control to the passengers, they, they are there just as a passenger. But with this new flight club module, which is called take control, um, there are all four of us in the main team this year are qualified instructors and flying instructors. So we can actually teach you how to fly the aeroplane and some of those manoeuvres. Okay. So that's a take control module where we did one last week where I was teaching a 75 year old lady how to fly <laughs> a loop and a an aileron roll. So it, wow. it was brilliant and she was having a great time. Uh, and then the last module is air combat where a lot of people have never flown with in, with a military pilot that's, that can show them roughly what it's like to be a military pilot and what military pilots do. So we have an air combat module where we go up as a pair and we just do basic dogfighting and basic fighter maneuvers and mm -hmm. show them the principles of dogfighting and what, and, and what it would need to be yeah. to, sh to get in somebody's six o'clock, what it was like in the Battle of Britain, let's say. That sounds and, fun. <laughs> yeah, and we can do that. That's now the flight club. So um, yes, I love flying the aerobatics at public shows doing this, but actually the best part is putting someone in the front and showing somebody who's never done anything like that before what it's really all about. And, mm -hmm. and that's definitely something I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying at the moment. So that, that's going on theblades.com and you can read all about that and how you can come and book a day here at Cywell. Uh, there's also social media. So um, on Twitter, it's at the Blades team. On Instagram and Facebook, it's at the Blades official. So you can find us there and uh, follow us over the summer. Right, there's just a few personal questions, Mike, to, for you to answer. So, uh, do you have any hobbies apart from flying? <laughs> hobbies apart from flying? Well, I, I, I do, I fly an awful lot. And in fact, my, my missus couldn't believe that um, even when I was in the Red Arrows, I was paying to go flying little aeroplanes at weekends. <laughs> so um, she couldn't quite grasp that. So yeah, I think flying is definitely the, n the number one hobby. Yeah. I absolutely love Formula One. So I will, I'm an avid follower of that. I've been to quite a few races um, and I will make sure I sit and watch it. I also like watching England rugby because uh, who doesn't? Um, so yeah, I don't like a bit of rugby, and then other than that, I've got very two very young children. So um, busy man. Yeah, hobbies aren't really <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the flavour at the moment. I don't really don't really have time for it. With, with yeah. certainly in the summer. Mm -hmm. So, do you have a favourite aircraft you've flown? A favourite aircraft I've flown. So uh, I'm very lucky. I got a few trips in a Harrier. That was good fun. Something different hovering that. Um, I've done a lot of flying in helicopters and I, normally I wouldn't say that I like helicopters but I have to say the squirrel was a lot of fun. I got, mm -hmm. I, I got a fair number of hours when I, in my red 10 roll flying oh, cool. backwards and forwards in squirrels and I actually got 
quite um, fond of it in terms of how it handled yeah. and, and what we could do mm. with it. Um, but I've been very, very lucky to have had a couple of back seats in Spitfires. So oh. I, I did uh, in the in 2015. So what was deemed the hardest day during the Battle of Britain? So in, in August of uh, 1940, the 75th anniversary of that day, I was very fortunate. I flew from Biggin Hill, so my hometown, which was absolutely key during the Battle of Britain. I was put in the back of a Spitfire and flown from Biggin Hill to Headcorn Aerodrome in Kent. So. Um, just what I did before that is I did a lot of research as to what was based there, which squadrons were based there, and who flew on those squadrons. And for the exact time I took off on that day, what they were going to do, and, and, and who came back and who didn't. Mm. So actually taking off on the northerly runway, Biggin Hill 03, seeing the London skyline, knowing that there were 19-year-old people, boys, who were getting airborne in Spitfires to defend that, and knowing that actually a fair few of them on that, on that day didn't come back. Yeah. It just made it such an emotional flight. Yeah, it must have hit home, yeah. Yeah, and that was my first Spitfire trip. So not only have you overwhelmed with sort of the, the senses of smell and sound and sight of all these things in this amazing aeroplane, but just the fact that what had happened 75 years ago at that moment was, was incredible. Yeah, I can and imagine. So it was very, very fortunate. So I'd have to say that my favourite flight was that flight. It has to be, it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. If just from, from a pure... Yeah, I got to fly the aeroplane and do aerobatics in it as well, but that, that actually was secondary to what, what that actually meant as to what had happened 75 years previous. So, yeah, um, yeah that was probably the, the, the best thing I've done is, is flying Spitfire. Yeah. Is there one you wish you could have flown? I do. I used to love the Jaguar as well, and the I never Jag, got to yeah. fly the Jaguar. Um, I'm not going to tell my leader, Andy Evans, that because <laughs> he gets a lot of banter for being a Jaguar pilot. But um, I did like the Jaguar um, and I never got to have a go in it, which is a shame. But um, certainly from the Royal Air Force's arsenal, mm -hmm. if you like, I, I didn't get to fly in a mm -hmm. Jaguar. I got to a typhoon trip just before I left the Royal Air Force with a, a friend of mine who was um, the, uh, the boss of the OCU at the time. Um, so I got to fly with him and that was incredible. It mm -hmm. was just a totally different machine to anything I'd flown before. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would like to have had a go in a Jaguar. Mm -hmm. And then if you're looking wider afield, then Blackbird, the SL-71. Oh, wow, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, but yes. Yeah. Well, well, and that, that's just an incredible aeroplane, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. that, uh, There's that story online of um, speed checks. Oh, was it the Hornet guy? Traffic. Yeah, the yeah. Hornet guy, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the Cessna, <laughs> and, the, and then this guy, yeah. That's brilliant. So, what a machine that is. Yeah. And I'll, actually, at Duxford at the weekend, I just popped in to have a bit of geek moment and have a look at the... Uh, oh, it's, <laughs> it's magnificent up close, isn't it? it's incredible. Yeah, lovely sound. There you go. So Mike, can we find you personally online on Twitter or Instagram? I'm, yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mike Ling Pilot, which is, uh, makes it nice and easy. Um, I try and put as much as I can on there. Um, when I was Red 10, it was quite easy to, there was that, there, there's you know, the odd half hour in a day where I could, I could be online and, and post as much as I could, but he's quite busy doing this now, day to day. So um, I try and put as much as I can on, but yeah, at Mike Ling Pilot on Twitter and the same on Instagram. Brilliant. Well, Mike, thanks very much for sharing a bit of your story and giving us your time. Thank you.